0: Hello, this is Dr. E. Michael Jones. We're doing our Culture Wars podcast here, and today we have a special guest with us. We have Father Jeffrey Langen, uh, um, a priest of uh, Opus Dei, uh, now uh, stationed in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, Father Langen has uh, two PhDs. He's got a PhD, a secular PhD in political philosophy from the University of Notre Dame, and an ecclesial Ph.D. in political philosophy uh, from the Santa Croce University in Rome. And Father uh, is going to is joining us today uh, as we try and t- make sense of the world situation right now. Uh, we're going to try and make sense of this world situation by looking at what I'm trying to articulate as the, the hidden grammar here. We have to get to the grammar in order to understand the language that is being used. And in order to do this effectively, I think we have to take a step back uh, because right now everyone is talking about the Ukraine and everyone has seemed to have forgotten about the kind of predecessor to the Ukraine, which was the Canadian truckers convoy. So, uh, we're going to watch a clip first of all welcome father Langen to you. Uh, to the show good here good looking good. Uh, looking forward to your comments here and we're going to begin by looking at a clip from the discussion that took place in canada during uh, uh immediate i think it was immediate it was during the debate over whether the parliament should approve uh justin trudeau's state of emergency declaration here's one of the members of parliament uh, I believe her name is uh, Alon. Uh, anyway, uh, she's a member of parliament. And this is what she had to say about the state of emergency in Canada.
1: Dismayed and angry and hurt, horribly hurt. So how many Nazi flags does it take? How many donors from the Capitol riots? It's 1100 and counting who have donated to these illegal blockades. How many guns need to be seized? How much vitriol do we have to see of Hong Kong, which is an acronym for Hail Hitler, do we need to see by these protesters on social media? Mm-hmm. How much, how many times do we have to see clear indicators that what is out there, is not about the hard two years that every Canadian has suffered, sure has. Mm-hmm. but is it about something much deeper and darker and uglier that is threatening the stability of this house? The work that we do as legislators each and every day for our constituents, the democracy that we have to uphold. When will it be an emergency for you and your colleagues across the floor?
0: Right. So what we're talking about here is basically it looks like a parking violation. okay? and it looks as if what they're doing is basically calling out the uh, the uh, police to execute people who are committing a parking violation. How do we get to a parking violation
2: and putting up bouncy houses? (laughs) Right. And a hot
0: tub. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so there was this kind of uh, carnival atmosphere in front of the uh, parliament in in uh, in Ottawa. And here we are.
2: What are we talking about? What what is what are we talking about now? Yes, you know, she she mentions she mentions in the video, we have to represent our constituents that. So she brings up this notion of representation. She brings up a notion of democracy she brings up a, no, a, a notion of, well, who are our constituents? Who are we representing? And I think that's the real question. I think more and more what we've seen over the, and she also talks about what we've all undergone these last two years, right? And I, think, I think the hidden grammar here is who is she representing? Right. Who right. are her real constituents? Who, yes. who, of whom is she a client? Right, right. And right. And so the real, I think the real grammar here, it's actually a grammar of just classical political philosophy categories. Are, are, the, are, modern, are our institutions becoming institutions that represent people, the constituents of a nation, or are our, are our political institutions becoming institutions that represent oligarchic institutions? Right, right. Which is, which is the classic... And uh, you know there, there was a lot in the early 20th century, especially before World War I, around the time of World War One, there were a lot of the first social scientists who were committed to trying to understand the international system. They were saying, like Thorstein Veblen was saying, the international system is coming under control of a class of wealthy individuals and groups and families that feel no obligation to any one nation and in fact they're turning political and social institutions of the various nations into their clients right and, and I think that's the question of this of canada right. in the honk honk crisis <laughs> right
0: right you know? so just at the same time people send me videos all the time i got a video <laughs> of uh, klaus schwab Klaus Schwab, uh, head of the World Economic Forum, announces that they have this young leaders. Who are these young leaders? And he goes down the list. It's amazing. <laughs> if you talk about spilling the beans, Klaus, it's right. uh, um, uh, Mr. Macron of uh, France, he's the premier of France, Angela Merkel, and then he mentions Justin Trudeau, and then one or
2: two, one, and then one or two <clears throat> members of
0: Trudeau's cabinet, <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, he he actually did to say, and we've even uh, gotten the uh, the legislatures on board too. We've yeah, so yeah, got yeah. this classic instance of, wait a minute, who's representing the people of Canada anymore? <laughs> right. And I think I think what we saw here is uh the, the culmination of this frustration that the Canadians felt uh because no one listens to them. No one listens to the Canadians. And this is not just Canada that we're talking about. I mean, you know about Indiana. We went through this crisis in Indiana with the, uh, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Uh, right. We went through it with Trump. Uh, no one's listening to us. Neither party pays any attention to the people in Indiana. So we have to do something and they elect Trump. And so you hear you have this lady. Uh, basically, that's the message that she's sending. You know, we, we, uh, we represent a group of people and the Canadians are not part of that group. But in other words, but, but again, we have to escalate this thing from a, a parking ticket to a firing squad. And, and we do this by she has this magic. The alchemy is obvious here. And the alchemy is when she says honk honk equals Heil Hitler. Now you you have two PhDs, and I'll bet you didn't know that.
2: You know, I, I even took a course in linguistics once. And we never right. got we no, never we, got that far. We never got to, <laughs> from
0: Hong Kong to Heil Hitler.
2: I mean I, talk cultural anti- even cultural anthropology didn't didn't go into that. The cultural anthropology course I took.
0: So so when you're dealing with this, I think you're starting to deal with a category of the mind rather than a category of reality. And that's the category of this lady's mind. And what the category of her mind is obviously the holocaust right she i don't do we uh, uh, the beginning of the clip she says very clearly okay she states who she is i'm jewish and i have relatives who died in the holocaust okay as soon as you say that that's it we we can't we can't disagree with you you're the how victim how can i how, how, can, I, how can i disagree with anything you say now what so this is immediately one of those uh, discourse prohibiting Uh, statements that no one's no one is allowed to disagree with this this is this is the problem and i but i but i think if you're going to talk about how do we get from a parking (laughs) ticket to a firing squad this is the answer you bring this in and then suddenly there's uh it's escalated right because
2: now yeah now the now the truckers are are nazis and white supremacists right which in canada is a bad thing Right. In, they, in Canada, it's the worst thing. Right.
0: I have, I have a friend from Kentucky who said, why are they demonizing them for the Confederate flag? I didn't know that was <laughs> there are certain parts of the country that but that's that's not that they're not good people. And so what we've seen here is this constant demonization of uh Anyone that these people don't like, they've got, so we, we have a position where you're getting a narrower and narrower basis of the people that you, this group that you represent is getting smaller and smaller. And as the group keeps getting smaller, the demands get more extreme. Right. They become more and more irrational and the more irrational, the, the uh, ideology, the more force it need you need to have uh, to
2: impose it. Also, because the, ide- the ideology is not based in nature. It's not based in anything that's real. It's, it's based in one's imagination. And the right. imagination can, has, an, has, has almost an infinite capacity of expansion. The fear can grow to such an incredible extent that it requires an incredible amount of wealth and power to suppress anything that could oppose the unruly imagination. Right, right. And so, all right,
0: that that's okay. The firing squad was an exaggeration, but what they came out with was every bit as serious. And this was financial financial sanctions against right. the Canadian people. So basically, if you showed it's not, uh, as if you showed up in a truck, <laughs> they were going to freeze your bank account. Right. And then, uh, and then it turns out if you made a contribution to GoFundMe. You never you ever went anywhere near Ottawa they were going to freeze your bank account right uh and and freezing your bank account they're going to deny you insurance if you're a trucker and they're going to make sure you never work again so this is like uh, this is capital punishment this is the economic
2: form of capital punishment <laughs> yeah because they're controlling they're controlling your life source the capacity to buy and sell is the life source of an individual in in any in any whether it's barter or the modern economy, the capacity to buy and sell is what you need to do in order to live. And so it's an assertion of, of absolute power and control. Did you, did you get a, a little
0: apocalyptic <laughs> I did, twinge I did. <laughs> when, when you said buy and sell?
2: <laughs> you're, a, you're a theologian, too. <laughs> There's only there's Who only is, one you know it's interesting there's only one time in the bible that buying and selling is used together like that apocalypse what is it 16 and 17 13 chapter 13, 13. yeah 13
0: the chapter book of 13. revelations yes yes and who's it's going to do this who's going to do this it's the antichrist the antichrist yeah so uh, or is this so one more indication we get this eerie feeling that we're in the end times here that
2: with yeah, this because- type
0: of power, with this type of power, this is unprecedented. Who had this power before in
2: history to do this kind of stuff? Right. It's, it's uh, go ahead. Well, it's not easy to, I mean, uh, in other words, in, in Roman times, right? In Roman times, you had to offer sacrifice to get a certificate, right? The labellus, you had to offer sacrifice to get a certificate that would enable you to enter into the market. <laughs> but you didn't, you know, it's interesting. The mark, what's the mark? There's actually an apocryphal text that says the mark of the beast will be the god Dionysus. That'll be the mark that'll be on someone's forehead or right arm or something like that. But actually, I think in this case the mark is is a is a figure is a figurative or symbolic. It, it means to whom does your heart? To whom in your heart do you swear allegiance? Right. Right. To whom is your true is your real loyalty? Right. And so I think. I think that the, this kind of behavior it is unprecedented. That because now with well now with the way the internet is all pervasive, and in the last twenty years everything that's been done to turn the economy into this international virtual economy, you can cuts you can they've created as you know they've uh, Silicon Valley Facebook everything that's come out of everything that's come out of Silicon Valley is actually making a number of people dependent on the internet for their livelihood. Right. Right. On, the, you, on, on their capacity to buy and sell. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have like Amazon is the classic
0: example here. You have to get access to Amazon in order to sell certain things like books. Yeah. And so if you need that they have a virtual monopoly of book sales right now, maybe close to 90%. That's a monopoly. There was a time when monopolies were not allowed by the government, but that's long gone because government is the rule of the oligarchs. Now, you have no choice. You have to go along with this type of thing. But so, but it gets, it gets even better. So who's in charge of this in Canada? Christina
2: Freeman, right?
0: Uh, Christia Freeman. Yeah. Okay. And so this is the perfect segue into the next segment. What is she? Oh, she's a Ukrainian. <laughs> yes, she's a Ukrainian. Not only that, but uh, she was involved with the CIA in, in the Ukraine. Or let's what put,
2: years? Do you remember what years she was there?
0: I think it was the early two thousands. So uh, probably the, the Orange uh, Revolution. Well, that, that's that's when it was heating up. That was when it was heating up. Two thousand eight, in this. Uh, uh, at this point was a crucial date because NATO had a meeting. I think it was in Bucharest and they announced that uh, now after the first wave of former communist countries, Georgia and the Ukraine, were going to join NATO. Right. Okay. That's when it heated up and Mm -hmm. that's when the Russians finally stood up and they said stated clearly, okay, no, we're not going to let that happen. That's not going
2: to happen. Putin went to one of those NATO conferences right around that time. And he made it very, actually, I, 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 have, I personally know a Frenchman who was there with all the CIA operatives in the Ukraine during that first attempt in 2004, 2005, to engineer the Orange Revolution. That was the first attempt by NATO to, uh, to usurp, uh, well, basically to introduce chaos into the Ukraine. Right. And, right. Uh, So actually, Putin went to one of these NATO conferences, and he he basically announced uh, that if you try this again, we can never let missiles, we can never let nuclear missiles or offensive missiles go into the Ukraine. And he says, if you you try to get the Ukraine to enter NATO so that you can put missiles there, (coughs) the first thing we'll do is we'll take the eastern provinces. And the second thing we'll do is we'll take the middle. And the third thing we'll do is we'll take the whole country. Because we just can't let missiles right. uh, be that close to Moscow. Right. Now, now the
0: crucial, the crucial fact here is uh, that's perfectly reasonable. Uh, it's a reasonable explanation of their natural, national interest. I think, to be honest with you, I think Trump understood that. I think Trump was willing to work with that. But we ended up talking, we're talking about people who say, I have relatives who died in the Holocaust. Right. And you can't talk to people like that. You cannot talk to people like that because they're always right. And so what we had at this point was uh, the Maidan revolution. It was Victoria Newland who right. orchestrated this. Before she orchestrated, she said, Uh, basically, we spent $5 billion uh, to destabilize the Ukraine, and then 2014 arrives, and now is their moment, February, they orchestrate one of these color revolutions. Orange was the color, and they orchestrated a revolution. Same playbook they've been using since 1953, the CIA playbook in 1953, where you give the illusion that there's some type of widespread popular discontent when it's all basically your people. And then you basically... Uh, depose the uh, legitimately elected govern- governor, governor, uh, the head of the Ukraine. Uh, and you put in your puppet. That's, that's where this started. It didn't start right. last week. This is where it started. Now there are people uh, out there who are talking, uh, like they talk about the just war, just war here. And in talking about it, they focus on what happened uh, yesterday, but they're not talking about what happened in 2014,
2: not at all. And they're not talking about. In fact, they t- most of the people who talk about just war, they don't even talk about what happened. I mean, they, they have no. They talk about it as if as if history is is not a part of what uh, as, as as if history is not a part of reality. Right. You know that right. the, the only thing we're dealing with is. Five minutes before and five minutes after any any event that you might see.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I just find I find this especially repugnant because these people use religion as a way of covering over what is basically naked self-interest the, right. both their own yes. as political pundits and the countries as well and I'm talking about two people you would think would be on opposite sides of the spectrum here I'm talking about George Weigel uh, who's the uh, ethics and public policy which is mr conservative or neo-conservative and I'm talking about America magazine right. which is the liberal end of Catholicism and what brings them together they both think that uh, the Ukraine uh the usurpers in the Ukraine have a case to make that they're it's involved in a just war
1: right
2: and they they yeah this is one of those things where if you actually i, I think even if you were just to look at just war theory and you were to understand because you typically when when they present ukraine and just war theory they just speak as if this is just the ukraine versus russia right as if as if nato is not involved or as the as if the united states is not involved that and that and that almost as if like in, 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 Weigel's, in Weigel's interview, it's almost as if the United States doesn't exist. It's like it's the man behind the curtain. It doesn't exist. And we have to decide whether we should step in and help the poor Ukrainians, as if nothing had ever happened there in, over the last 25 years that, that, we, that we helped to engineer. Or as if we're not sending them weapons. Right. The, no, we, the, the really, we've been arming them for the last.
0: Of course, been, we have. Well. Of course, <laughs> we have. And this is so. Weigel says we should, of course, send them weapons. Wait a minute. <laughs> we, what do you think is going to happen with those weapons? What do you think is going to happen? The Ukrainian government, who knows, who's going to get them? Okay, they'll hand them out to anybody who asks for them, who shows up. They're right. showing pictures on the internet of there's this attractive chick. In her yoga pants standing on the balcony of her apartment in kiev holding an ak-47 right honey honey that's dangerous don't you know that's dangerous to do that no there's a video
2: there's a video going around the catholic press of this young ukrainian couple that got married yesterday and then in the afternoon they put on their military gear and they have they have rifles and they're going to go you know they're going to go who knows what but they're like it's all it's almost it's but it's this is complete propaganda this is this right. is misuse of religion somehow try basically just using religion as an emotional ploy right they're tugs at your heartstrings you know those ukrainian
0: catholics there we right. bother, wait a minute you're not helping the situation by arguing urging these people to go out with a gun no. if you pull a gun out in front of a cop he has a right to shoot you right this is a war and right. they have a right; they have a right to to shoot you here with this type of thing. The only thing, the ana- analogy that I'm coming up with is the uh, the uh, film uh, Untergang, uh, Downfall, was the English title. It's about Hitler in the last days of the bunker. And there's the scene in the film where, okay, the army has collapsed, the Wehrmacht has collapsed, the Soviet army is marching into Berlin, and there are three teenagers, and they got this flak. Uh, uh, artillery piece and they call, they're they lowering the muzzle so it's straight ahead and they're going to shoot the first German tank or Soviet tank that comes through so suddenly a veteran comes out this is a guy who's decommissioned He's not. he has his arm blown off he only has one arm and he says to these kids are you crazy what do you think you're going to achieve other than having yourself be killed and this is exactly the thought that crossed my mind uh, with this chest thumping of george weigel right george george you're not gonna, you're not going to be in the line of fire
2: no
0: you're in washington you're you've got you're the typical neocon who's always telling other people to go out and fight and they die and you take credit for it right this is outrageous this is an outrageous abuse of of whatever whatever he thinks he's doing
2: you know it's also an abuse because <clears throat> even the pope in his statements I know the Pope made a dramatic, uh, the Western press was presenting it like, oh, the Pope went to the Russian embassy. Of course, they they assume somehow that the insinuation somehow is that the Pope is going to the Russian embassy to scold them or something. But if you look at the Pope's actual statement, I mean, I learned this in 2014 when I was in Rome. I had a friend who worked in the State Department and I asked my friend at one point, I said, because I, I was I was, that was right after the whole Syrian, the Syrian chemical weapons event, and was I, this, I asked was my, this.
0: Was this after the uh, the coup in the uh, in the Ukraine as well?
2: Yeah, it was after okay. the coup in Ukraine also. Okay, good. And I was just asking my friend. We were talking about Syria to get ready to talk about the Ukraine, and I said to my friend, "I said, you know, it seems to me from the statements the Vatican put out about Syria, the Vatican really probably probably if you were to push them." they would never say this publicly, but probably they really think the United States was the country at fault for Syria, right? That the Vatican knows that we were the ones that funded the rebels that became ISIS, that we were the ones that arranged for chemical weapons in Syria. And my, this friend of mine in the State Department said, yeah, absolutely, we, we try to put out statements that if, if, you, if you read them carefully, you can, and you can think things through a little bit, <clears throat> Uh, You can come to a a rational conclusion about, if not even who's in the right, who's least wrong in in a given situation. And I think the Pope's statement, he was very clear to say in his statement, we cannot let partisan interests disturb. I mean, obviously, he decries war. War is a breakdown of peace. I mean, peace is better than war. But he says we can't let partisan interests, right, be the ones that direct the events here. And He says these kinds of situations, they need to be resolved according to the principles of international law. The U.S. has done nothing to follow. I mean, the U.S. is the country acting according to partisan interests in the Ukraine. It's the U.S. that refuses to uh, even come to the negotiating table with, to, to meet Russia's demands about, about their security concerns or Russia's, Russia's security concerns about missiles.
0: Yeah, that's the impression I got here that we're dealing with the same type of reversal that we saw uh, in Canada. In other words, you've got the same, the guy, uh, Blinken, okay? Blinken is the Secretary of State. He's one of the Jewish members of the cabinet. He's got the same mindset as the lady that we started off with, you know? When you walk into the negotiating room with uh, the idea that you had uh, relatives that died in Auschwitz, Uh, that precludes rational discussion it precludes any sense that the other guy may have a point right that immediately eliminates that from discussion because you have the absolute righteousness on your side and therefore you really don't have so everyone is there basically you sit down and i'll tell you what to do and that's
2: because justice is the opinion of the powerful. Because justice is the opinion of the
0: powerful. <laughs> because it's
2: very interesting, right? It's very interesting that in Canada, if you're, a neo, if you're a truck driver and they can label you as a neo-Nazi, you're a bad guy. In the Ukraine, if, they, if, the, if the U.S. or Canada can label you as a neo-Nazi, you're a good guy. Yes, wait a minute. I'm confused.
0: <laughs> how, did this, how did this happen? Okay, you're talking about the Azov Brigade yeah okay the Azov brigade is uh, you can look it up the helmets they have swastikas on their helmets they are the descendants of stefan bandera uh, stefan bandera was uh, uh, basically the guy who orchestrated the uh, creation of uh, what the germans called the einsatzgruppen the mobile units who would go around did cause severe uh, problems in that area there's no question about it they just round people up and shoot them but wait a minute this is this is this is where the i'm, I'm listening to george weigel and he's saying this is absolutely outrageous the ukraine has a jewish president how could they ever have nazis in the army Oh, I, just because you said it, the fact is that they do have Nazis in the army. They induct it. First of all, it's not the regular army. This is a group of people that were outside of it. They bring them into the army. They don't know where there's any control over these people. They probably have a mind of their own. They were engaged in terrorist activities against Russian people. They brought them in. Well, what are you saying? Just because it doesn't sound so, like something that polite people in the beltway would say, that's an awful thing to say. Well, it's true. And not only is it true, the the moment he says this, Facebook comes out always ready to ban you for uh, some imaginary offense. And they immediately said, we do not allow people to promote Nazism except in the Ukraine.
2: (laughs) Right, right. But we're still going to, we're still opposed to hate in all forms outside of that form. (laughs) That's that's good. hate. that's good. These
0: are good Nazis. What's so hard to understand about that? The truckers aren't Nazis at all. They have nothing to do with it. And if you think that Hong Kong means Heil Hitler, I think you should go uh, seek help. Uh, There are people who can help you with that problem. You know, uh, Uh, but these are real Nazis. They are the real Nazis, but they're good. They're okay. Now, how, how, is, how is this supposed to, how, how is this going to fly? Is this going to fly? What's, what's going to happen here? What's going to happen with this narrative?
2: I, I think the narrative, I, I, think, I think there's no, like, for example, I think with the Canadian government and the truckers, there's no winning. I mean, there, there might be a temporary win. Like, they might get the truckers to go away. But it's funny, the the World Economic Forum just published a book called The Great Narrative. And one of the funny things about the book is that there's no narrative in it. They they can't come up with the narrative. They they recognize that we need a narrative, but then in the book itself, they don't come up, there's no narrative. There's no no compelling narrative that they can come up with other than keeping people in fear, right? Because if we keep you in fear, then we can control the next move. I think the Canadian truckers, in a sense, they've broken. They've broken whatever narrative the oligarchs had. I mean, it's, an, it's another. It's another. It's another. Uh, yeah, another. Another. Another chink in their. Another point in their armor has been broken.
0: Well, I think. Cer- I think certainly Trudeau has lost whatever image yeah. he had before. There are so many. So all oh, to there, there are so many memes of Trudeau in a Nazi uniform. Right. And, and, I, and, by the, think, and by the way, if you buy Culture Wars magazine, you will also see our meme of Trudeau right, in a Nazi right, uniform right, right. because he deserves it. He
2: yeah, deserves there's also it. there's also a lot of memes going around of Trudeau in blackface because yes. <laughs> yes. Trudeau, as a young man, did it. Was in he he would wear blackface from time to time.
0: Apparently. Yeah, yeah. Well, so uh, in the middle of all this, Elon Musk tweets a picture of Adolf Hitler, and the the caption is, "Please stop comparing me to Justin Trudeau."
2: <laughs> Right. But I think also that even the US narrative, and I mean, the Vatican is, for example, just to give one institution, but the Vatican is no longer accepting of the US narrative, the the George Weigel uh, American representative of the project of the new American century narrative of the world, the US as the hegemon of the world. The Vatican is just, it's just, it's not, and I think many people, even many Catholics, right? Obviously, it, it'll take time, but I think people are starting to wake up to the fact that. Well, also, I mean, I just saw I just saw a meme that somebody sent out today of two pink tanks entering into the Ukraine, right? Saying this right. is how NATO is going to defend the Ukraine, right? Because because the the one of the UK uh, minister foreign ministers said the whole reason we're defending Ukraine Ukraine is because this is going to be our opportunity to experiment with lgbt rights. right, right. and he he's the mi6 uh, chief of foreign intelligence of, of uh, britain. right so i think i think catholics are going to see that this this narrative doesn't fit. why are we in the ukraine? for are we in there are we there to, to put uh, lgbt rights everywhere? i suppose in america magazine we are Yeah, that's exactly right.
0: So it goes hand in hand with uh, military aggression and gay rights. Now we're going to impose the gay disco on the world through military power. If you don't accept it uh, voluntarily, by the way, as some indication of who's uh, what side, uh, what side the people, the Russians are on Pornhub canceled its uh, porn subscriptions to Russia. so figure that one out fellas (laughs) figure that
2: let's put that in. by the way one other detail that i think is very important is that a few days ago uh uh the u.s it was a u.s government website the u.s embassy in the ukraine expressed their concern of all the biological weapons labs that were going to be at risk once the russians invaded the ukraine and uh some people took some maps of these uh of these of these weapons labs, which is which goes against international law to have these kind of weapons labs in the first place. And just today the US took all those, took that announcement off of all of all of its governmental websites.
1: This
2: so it is, seems go ahead. I mean it seems to me that the more you dig into some of the details of what was happening I mean, in the, in 2014, the US went in there. Basically, to collapse. We our, our our intention was to collapse. I mean, that, Francis and the Vatican put out this statement: Are we operating? Are we a partisan interest operating according to the principles of international law? We went into the Ukraine in 2014 to collapse the economy, so that using the uh, the Soros uh, National Endowment for Democracy, a, lo- a number of a number of Soros representatives. Could buy up Ukrainian industries at pennies on the dollar. We we flooded arms into the country. We instigated a civil war. We instigated a civil war in the east. Apparently, we also put we put biological weapons labs in the country. Yeah, but but other than that, but other than that,
0: <laughs> what uh, what else did we? You know, you know? Did, we, did we, How many gay discos did we
2: create, though? That right.
0: was uh, that would make up for all of those bad things that we did. Right.
2: No. Well, so. The, the, uh, I mean, so it's just it just seems to me that it, once you open it up to a wider context, I mean, this puts people like this. This puts people like George Weigel and the arguments that he's making. And I think in a in a position where he should just go away, he should just I mean, he. It's he an obsolete. It's an obsolete. Neoconservatism
0: is an obsolete ideology. Yes. It's obsolete. It became obsolete the minute Donald Trump became president. Right. He Was he and Robbie George, I think he was involved. Robbie George orchestrated some insurrection against Donald Trump, t- excommunicating him from the right. conservative synagogue at right. National Review. Right. Right. And we don't hear much about Robbie George anymore, do we? No, okay? I
2: mean, so the, these so even even these categories that Weigel used, or even the categories that were in the America article, I just think most, most people just aren't listening to these. They're empty concepts at this point. Because they don't support a, a coherent narrative, and so what I think what you're seeing, for example, in the Catholic press right now, is you're seeing images of like a Ukrainian priest with the crucifix. Almost all these images, by the way, are from Western Ukraine, which is more the Polish part of the Ukraine. Right. Right. And these are just um, these are just emotional images, but they're not. They, they don't explain the reality. Right. They're not well, helping us to understand the reality. And I think what we're seeing is a progressive. Between between nineteen well between the year two thousand and three and the present, fewer and fewer people are accepting this neoconservative paradigm for how they think about the world. Right, and, and and I think the Russians and the Chinese and the Iranians. I mean, I think I think it is significant also that the Pope thought he at least could go speak to the Russians. And no one's pointing that out. That. I mean, the, the mere fact that he thought, I can go to the Russian embassy and they will listen to me, that we can engage in a dialogue. He didn't rush off to the American embassy. Wouldn't
0: it be good if he told us what, what the discussion was? Or maybe, uh, would that help
2: the matter? I, I think eventually it'll, I mean, I think, I think who knows if it'll come out or not, but I think it would help if, some, if we got some indication of the, the nature of the discussion. The Vatican is always, you know, Gun shy—that's not the right word—but the Vatican always, is always hesitant to, to give any kind of full explanation.
0: Well, the, the Pope certainly isn't hesitant to. Yeah, to, that's
2: true. That's true. Might, we, we should be watching his next interviews. Who knows what will come I, out?
0: I know. I mean, you know, you know the story that about the Swiss Guards—they now have uh, tranquilizer guns. That's right. (laughs) Their job is to shoot the Pope whenever he gets on an airplane and they haven't been doing a good job because it's just one, it's just one thing after another. So we're we're looking for some, we're looking for some type of response and, and it's, uh, I'm not hearing it. Right. I'm not hearing it, but we have. So what we have here now is uh, the sanction weapon. Okay. We saw how in Canada it was imposed against individuals, Basically, uh, freeze your bank account. This is now down to anybody who disagrees with you, uh, with the regime in Canada, as facing, facing financial, financial ruin. Now, Glenn Greenwald uh, went, did a, an article about this, saying this was the real message of the, uh, of the uh, Canadian trucker convoy, that basically they unleashed, this was Christia. The Ukrainian lady with connections to the KGB kicked her out of, uh, wouldn't let her into the Soviet Union, or into Russia, uh, basically wielded this weapon against the people of Canada. Greenwald says it began with Joe Lieberman uh, talking about uh, Julian Assange and re- using this weapon against uh, WikiLeaks. Mm-hmm. So instead of the government having to come and make a case against you and you give your trial and so on and so forth, they just persuade a private actor to do it. And there's no, you have no recourse. So it's the best of both worlds. The private actor has the power of government and none of the responsibility or none of the checks and balances. And that's so who does he say is the next one that uh, pushed this uh, agenda? The ADL. Right. Now, wait a minute. And he says it's because. Liberal Democrats took over the ADL. Now, wait a minute. Uh, you're talking about Jonathan Green. I think we got the cart before the horse here, Glenn. I think it was basically the Jews <laughs> took over Liberal Democrats. They certainly did that in in uh, la- the Labor Party in England. Uh, but he's a Jew. And so it's blind. And Naomi Naomi Wolf did the same type of thing. She's They can't see... That this, uh, there's a category of reality out there called the Jew and that, that acts on its, on its own perceived uh, self-interest to the exclusion of anyone else. And through uh, groups like the ADL and through this, na- this narrative, the Holocaust narrative, which says I had relatives die in holoca- the Holocaust, they have enormous power. And right. basically they can do whatever they want. And they've been doing whatever they want through the sanctions office of the United States Treasury. So now the question is, will they be able to take this one step farther? Okay, because that's going to be the official response to what's happening
2: in the Ukraine. Can they cut cut Russia off somehow?
0: Yeah. Now, again, the classic example of this is uh, Olaf Scholz, the prime minister of Germany, who has a gun. He's got a gun here, and he knows how to use it, Okay. Yeah. He says, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to pull the trigger. And <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> bang, he pulled the trigger.
2: Yeah, I shouldn't laugh. Yeah. He pulled the trigger. He, <laughs> which it, he basically canceled Nord Stream 2. Yeah. Pepe Escobar said that uh, Pepe Escobar's impression of his speech was that it was very pro forma. That, he, that, it, he, that it looked like a man who was being blackmailed. I can't imagine
0: how this is in the interest of the German people, right? How is this in their interest? I was in, I was in, uh, living in Germany, uh, across the river, across the Rhine, they were building a nuclear reactor in Kalkar. This is in the 1970s. That thing never went into operation. They just basically left. it. turned it into an amusement park, believe it or not. So right. you can go take a slide down the cooling tower if you want, you know, and, <laughs> uh, I never did that, but, um, uh, But uh, so they got out of that. Well, how are you going to run the country? Where uh, what are you going to do? This was—I think—that this was in many ways the whole purpose of the Ukraine thing. From
2: from one of the main purposes. Yeah, it was to turn Germany. It was—I think—yes—to try to somehow force Germany to buy more from the United States. Yes. And they and can't do it. A, a, it's a not going to work. It's not going to work. I know, I the, know. One of, the, one
0: of the Arab Emirates said, don't ask us. We don't have any more. <laughs> we can't make up this shortfall that for, for Russia. Right. We can't do it. But, okay, so but let's get back to the sanctions. Uh, you got all these people saying, well, cut uh, Russia out of SWIFT, which is the international payment system. Okay? Great idea. That's the nuclear option for financial sanctions. Oh, wait a minute. I forgot. How do we pay the Russians for the gas if we cut them out of SWIFT? Right. You're, 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 you're cutting off the lifeline of Western Europe. And right. you're, again, what's, you know, don't make a move or I'll, I'll shoot. Yeah. I'll shoot. This is what the Germans are doing right now. Uh, and you think the Russians can't sell gas
2: to China? And, well, it seems to me that they've, they've already indicated this, that they'll, they'll just sell more gas to China and India. For sure, China, right? And Germany
0: will have to get it on ships from the from the, the, from the uh, Gulf. These liquid, the liquid right. national patrol, and of course that puts them at the mercy of the United you know, the American Navy, right? Which is the whole the whole issue from right. the beginning here. It's,
2: it's almost as if it's a it's we're, we're trying to seal Germany for another fifty years as a client of the United States.
0: Yes, why are the Germans going along with this? Do you have? Well, you need to get a PhD in psychology.
2: <laughs> well, actually, I know someone here who's getting a PhD in social psychology. <laughs> so okay, I should probably talk with him about this. He, talk
0: I, to I, him about I, this. It's, it's I, <laughs> I, I am a, I am an amateur psychologist, and I've talked a lot about the effect that uh, Rod, Cardinal Ratzinger had uh, when he became Pope, uh, and the effect that he had on Germany, and the effect he had on the entire Church. I think the entire church was crippled. It was crippled because Ratzinger accepted American social engineering. Right. He accepted the validity. He internalized the commands of his oppressors. And as a result, the entire... And and then he imposed that on the entire church at Vatican II. When he basically became the paritus for Cardinal Frings, he goes down there He orchestrates the rejection of the Ottaviani documents, which were the original purpose, and then institutes this new uh, regime of Gaudium. that says the church has nothing to fear from the modern world. Right. Just as the Jews are orchestrating the destruction of obscenity laws in Germany. Right. Which Frings fought tooth and nail.
2: But it seems like well, by the, I think by the time uh, Ratzinger became his his a theological expert, Frings was Frings was old, and he kind of he kind of like let Ratzinger now do the work for him.
0: I think I think you're right. He, he was definitely yeah. old. There's no question about that. And living through what he lived through would age you, even if you
2: weren't <laughs> old. Yeah.
0: Uh, uh, and So the man who stood up to the Americans about the the Morgenthau Plan, the Germans starving to death, is an old man. And basically, he did. He handed it over to Ratzinger. and Ratzinger basically wrote the speeches, and and
2: and Frings was out of it. And the consequences are with us still. Yeah, we're all still we're all still living to some degree under the Americanist paradigm to, to different degrees.
0: Yes, you know, and- but it, it doesn't make any sense now because the situation has become completely reversed. It's become completely reversed. Right. With, who, where is the Christian country? Which country is the Christian country here? Is it Russia? Uh, uh, this, I, I've had I've I've been tweeting about Fatima. I, I'm saying this is the fulfillment of the message of Fatima. This is proof that the consecration has taken place.
2: Well, Robert Sungenis, I mean, he, his argument in his new book is that when you're, think, when you're speaking about these things anymore, it's, it's, it's not that Russia needs to be consecrated, right? The consecration has happened. The beginning of the re-Christianization of Russia has begun, right? The, the 100,000 churches they've built in the last 25, 30 years, the the efforts that they're making to reestablish a healthy family culture. And obviously that's not their foreign policy, but that <clears throat> certainly it seems like if there's, a, if there's the building, up at least in Russia, there's the building up of, and, and Putin, the Russian, they're, it seems like they're trying to establish some principles by which we can assume people will act in the international order. right Right? and that's a sign of a christian culture that we act by principle not by just control and power and manipulation right it seems like as christian as the christian culture declines in the united states more and more our political actors are just acting out of sheer power and control and political manipulation i mean all, all political leaders to some degree do that i'm not i'm not saying no
0: yeah i understand i understand i mean but to to, to, to get back to the to the just war uh uh I, who is thwarting? Let, let's put it this way the let's talk about the deliberate targeting of civilian populations <laughs> well the, the holocaust narratives was created to distract the world from the fact that the allies never from from day one never honored that principle Right. I don't care which side you're talking about. You could talk about the British and their bombing campaign, which was deliberately uh, 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 aimed at the civilian population. You could talk about the way the Soviet uh, army behaved on its ruthless path uh, toward toward Berlin. You could talk about the United States' involvement. None of them followed these principles. None of them followed just war principles. And now this is coming out at the very time uh when uh, uh, coming out in Germany at the very time that you got complete paralysis at the top. Something's gotta give here. Something's gotta give. You can't, this is too unstable.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. I was I was living in Germany fifty almost 50 years ago. And we are closer to World War II now than we were 50 years ago. Everything that we say is dominated by this narrative. No, whether, whether it's the truckers in Canada, no yeah, matter sure. where <laughs> it is, it's, yeah. you have to uh, adhere. It, it's as if we're so obsessed, we're so concerned because we're losing, every, everything's falling apart, that we have to keep coming back and reassuring ourselves that there is this narrative, and we are the good people, this was the good war, and we established principles that are good, and blah, 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 when the exact opposite is the case.
2: Right. And there's, you know, you and I were even involved a little bit in these efforts. You you see this leaking out a little bit in the Catholic news headlines and the Catholic press, right? The suggestion somehow that, like, how the Ukrainians fought against communism in World War II, or how Putin was a KGB agent, or, but you see the word communist coming up, how the Ukrainians suffered under communism, how the communists caused this, how the communists caused that. Right, so you see this even even right now in the Ukrainian conflict, there's this effort to try to somehow evoke this emotional uh, this emotional experience of World War II of of communism, right, as a way of rationalizing. Well, this is why we're there right now, right, to then, cover course, up, to, to cover
0: over the complete lack of principle that is being exerted right. here, like, because just, just, because actually, just, yeah. Just, just get back to that same point here. Okay, if you don't want, the Russians are saying they do not want to target civilian populations. They're going out of their way not to. They're just attacking military bases. Right. Well, the, if, if the Nazis there, if the Azov Brigade and these Ukrainian thugs deliberately move their war into Kiev, I uh, guess what's going to happen? You deliberately move your military into a, a highly populated area, one of those high-rise apartments. Civilians are going to get hurt. You're using going to die. Civili- yeah,
2: humans. You're using humans as shields.
0: This is despicable.
1: Yeah, it is. That it you is. would
0: listen. We, if we had an army. If we had, if we were following the rules of law, you would have a government that was in charge of an army and the army would wear uniforms and you could have the head of state talking to a head of state and saying, this is (laughs) the way we're going to conduct the war. That's not what's happening here. You know, it's interesting
2: In in Weigel's article, one of the things that he says that was so terrible that the Russians did is they feigned the number of troops that they had available for this conflict. And what's interesting about that is precisely Aquinas, when he's discussing just war theory, he's, that's one of the things Aquinas says you can precisely do and still carry out a just, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to celebrate war, right? But no. in other words, Aquinas says you can, you can feign troop formations as a way of carrying out war. That's, that's perfectly within the confines. And that's precisely what Weigel points to as being a problem with how Putin or how the Russians have carried out this conflict, that they feigned they, the, where, where their troops were. Right. <clears throat> they're grasping at
0: straws. He is grasping at straws yeah, no, because the paradigm doesn't fit anymore. The paradigm was fighting communism. We are against communism. No, <laughs> now the paradigm is Russians are bad. Right. Russians are bad. It's not because they're communists. It's because they're Russians. Right. This is This is, this is not, this is, has no contact with reality. Right, says, and yeah. and I, these these guys are uh, like the Weigels of the world are fighting the last war, communism's over. Why are you why are you blaming Russians for being communists when they're that that's over that conflict is gone that's not happening anymore? Well, it's because you were always just in, you weren't interested in so much in, in defeating communism as you were in spreading the American Empire and spreading American imperialism. That's what it comes down to.
2: Yeah, this is this is this all these all these uh, researchers who have unearthed the fact that obviously it's one thing to be opposed to communism. It's another thing to engage in the anti-communist crusade, which which is just a veneer for expanding the American empire. Right.
0: C.D. Jackson said when Stalin died, he said we lost the best salesman we ever had. (laughs) cd jackson who is he he was uh mr (laughs) cia okay but uh, when he said that he was simultaneously on the payroll of the cia and the payroll of time magazine okay time magazine at this point was the propaganda ministry for the american empire okay well let's trace cd jackson back where did he make his appearance on the scene it was buchenwald It was at Buchenwald. He was with, under General McClure, who was the head of psychological warfare operation in World War II. And what he orchestrated was, they they come into Ordruf, they see the dead bodies, Buchenwald is right down the road. They send two operatives, c- uh, psychological warfare operatives, in to Buchenwald. They cr- they cr- drag in these things: two shrunken heads, a lampshade made out of human skin, and a human pelvis ashtray. And this shows you how bad the Nazis were. Well, wait a minute, Nazis shrink heads? Germans mm-hmm. shrink heads? I never got. That. I didn't know that. Okay, who was the man who was holding up that pelvis? ashtray after Patton forced a thousand people to march from Weimar to Buchenwald to be shamed because of what these Nazis had done. It was C.D. Jackson. Right. So you see this continuity here of the narrative that got established the, the narratives that, that we began with, the Canadian member of parliament invoking this narrative, it got started by C.D. Jackson, the American psychological warfare operation, to distract everyone from American war crimes. And it's alive today. It's, I'm saying it's more alive today than it was when I was in Germany 50 years ago.
2: Right. Yes, certainly in the conflict that we're seeing right now, that's the case. You know, it's funny, even George Keenan, right when george keenan was told the shift that was taking place in american foreign policy after the end of the cold war ju- just the mere the mere that we took these 12 countries of eastern europe and we brought them into nato and that our next moves would be the ukraine and georgia george keenan said that's that's it it's over it's over we're 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 not doing at all what i envisioned anymore we've gone far I, beyond anything yeah, tell us who he was well, George Keenan was the creator of, of the Cold War narrative. That's I mean, he, right. That's right. The, the long telegram the Cold War narrative.
0: Basically, and it was containment. And it was basically uh, something that was actually defensible over the long haul. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where you don't have this messianic fervor that you're going to exterminate evil because of stories you heard at your grandfather's dinner table or something right. like that.
2: Right. But this is also how fear, you know, fear, like Plato says this in the Republic, right? What's the problem with the tyrant? He's always living in fear of who is going to unseat him. And the, but the fears are always irrational. They're always part of the imagination. And so the tyrant just has to keep uh, claiming more and more power as his own, more and more things under his control, because he can't get his fear under control. And there, so there's no if the holo- with the Holocaust this is probably why the Holocaust narrative is becoming so prevalent now because there's really no I mean in the Cold War you could say there was real containment issues <laughs> right that there's something there's, there's something there but now there's no as they say right now there's no there there right, right. right? there's so no what? reality. There were- There was a certain
0: sense of equilibrium. There was the balance of power. These were, this was part of the rhetoric at that point. And then that all disappeared. And so people like Kenan were saying basically, well, get rid of NATO. Well, we don't need NATO anymore. There's no communism. And that, at that point, the neocons had control of our foreign policy and they were driven by this messianic fervor. It's not rational. It's not rational. It's like I had relatives who died in the Holocaust, and therefore, we're going and to pursue a completely irrational foreign policy, and you're going to pay the price. Right.
2: We're all going to pay the price. Yeah, because I think, I think it was Weigel that says, we, we Americans, we're going to have to make sacrifices for, the, for what we're Puff. going to do. We? What do you mean we? <laughs> what do you mean we, pale face? I know, I know, I know, I know. But that's the classic move of the tyrant. Like, you make sacrifices so that I can gain power. Yeah. Everybody has to sacrifice for my, for my power, for my security.
0: Yeah. yeah. That's the classic move of the tyrant. That's right. That's right. Father, we've run out of time here. I want to thank you for sharing your insights. Let's hope it does some good to rein in the madness, uh, because ultimately the truth is going to have to prevail. It's not the opinion
2: of the powerful. Thanks again. You're welcome.